Once we're able to figure out battery storage in massive scale, I think it'll be life-changing because that's one of the biggest problems today. If an electron was generated somewhere, if it wasn't used in a very short time frame, it will disappear. Welcome back, Global Startup Tribe, to another episode of the Global Startup Movement, the podcast where every week we bring you conversations, insights, and innovation highlights from emerging startup ecosystems all around the world. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz, and today I am joined by Aviv Shalgi, the CEO at Energy Tech Startup Solar Simplified. He's here today to help us unpack the solar industry, uh, what are really the current barriers to adoption, and this new model of community solar that's been emerging lately. Uh, Aviv, thanks for coming on the show. Of course, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me. Why don't we just start off with unpacking what is what is the innovation? What is the new model that has been emerging that made you want to start Solar Simplified, this concept of community solar? And then, and then we'll go from there. So if we take a, a little bit of a step back and try to look at the big picture, renewable Energy and solar energy has been around probably for, you know, several decades, probably 30, 40, 50 years. And way back when, it was very expensive. All of the materials, all of the technology, the efficiencies wasn't there. And it wasn't as widespread. It was more for companies and people who really, really care about about our, our, our planet. And, you know, as time passed by, and especially in the last five to 10 years, Technology has advanced so much, especially in the in the solar panels and, and solar energy generation, that it's starting to become a much more viable business model. The biggest costs right now for solar developers are usually labor. It's no longer the solar panels and the technology side of things. And what struck me as odd earlier this year when I was kind of thinking of, of what my next startup is going to be after, after my previous two I kind of stumbled upon this industry in a little bit of its numbers, and I noticed that even though prices have dropped and solar energy right now is more affordable than, say, the average price of energy in the United States and in other countries around the world, that energy is still being sold mostly, almost completely, to corporations, not to the, not to the people, not to the masses. And to me, it was mind-blowing. All of us are paying taxes that some parts of those are going as incentives because we all care about the planet. But I don't think we need as people and as you know, citizens of the world to kind of subsidize profit for, for companies. You know, it was mind-blowing to me to, to figure this out. And that's kind of what got me to start Solar Simplified in an effort to kind of commoditize this, this product, this energy and make it a lot more accessible to, to ordinary people, to you and me. And so when you, when you say that technology has advanced so much over the past decade, I mean, what specifically is it the just effectiveness in the panels to actually capture the sunlight? Or like, like yeah, what, what categories are advancing to where there's new models that can be introduced? Yeah, there's been a lot of advancements. Anywhere from manufacturing, the actual large machines that, you know, build these solar panels, Anywhere from the actual photovoltaic you know, cells that are then compounded to create a solar panel, and then these are compounded to create solar farms, um, all of the infrastructure that's supposed to hold that, 
some of the really interesting and very innovative solar farms are no longer static. The solar panels are changing a little bit in their degrees and the way that they're facing the sun so they could capture the sun better. You know, it's anywhere from that all the way to how do you manage? How do you operate that field? How do you increase efficiency as time passes by? I mean, every material out there in nature has some degradation as time passes. Kind of like, you know, if you think about rust on, you know, on metals, um, it builds up over time. And there's been technologies both on software and hardware to try to optimize that, try to get rid of those degradation factors in order to increase efficiency, maximize the amount of energy generated at every given time. And obviously, at the end of the day, also maximize, you know, the, the profitability of these, uh, you know, of these projects so that sometime down the road, we might not even need government incentives in order to push this. It would be, you know, it'd be obvious for business owners that want to get into this space to just say, oh, I could make X amount of money or X percent uh, profit return on investment if I go and build a solar power plant. And so I think we were all very fortunate that technology has advanced so much the last 10 years or so that it's, it's no longer just one thing, one factor. But in terms of the actual hindrance of like mass consumer adoption of, of solar, I mean, has technology been the key thing that's been hindering mass adoption? Or is it much more of just an issue of the fragmentation of consumer demand and the actual business, like trying to land a proper business model to the technology? I think it's a little bit of both. Without the technology and these advancements, the price would have just been so high that the average person it wouldn't have been worth it for them to to support to actually buy renewable energy and specifically solar energy so without the technology we wouldn't have gotten to even being able to have this conversation now that that's already a given you know in the last probably 2 3 years some places even four it started a discussion of how can we as society and regulators and nonprofits kind of start to drive this conversation to be able to go to the masses? And so here in the United States, it's usually driven either by the federal government or state governments. How can we incentivize developers to not go to the large corporations, but to go to the mass market? And that sometimes could maybe cost them a little bit more. Or maybe they need to prepare their software systems a little bit better or a little bit differently. So how can we as a society and and obviously the regulators drive them and incentivize them to do that? Um, And so one of the ideas that that came about a few years ago that you mentioned earlier was community solar. And community solar is a a state-mandated program, but every state call it something different. Um, So people in the energy industry know it as community solar, but... Different states call it different types of words. The idea in community solar is to incentivize a little bit, give another incentive or a very small incentive to developers. And if they want to receive that incentive, they have to sell X percent of the generation directly to the consumer. And so that could go anywhere from 60% or above in the state of New York all the way to 100% in the state of Maine and other states. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a carrot and the stick method 
will give you an incentive, but if you won't do that, you won't receive the incentive and you're not going to be uh, regulatory compliant as those states are mandating. So most solar startups that we think of, like Solar City, they have a model of actually having people installing the solar panels on people's homes versus what you're doing, which is a much more turnkey for consumers. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. So can you tell us a little bit about the model and how you see it evolving over time to once, once, you, uh, once you hit scale? Of course, of course. So if you think about it, and, and I'm going to you know, give, give a little bit of data on the United States specifically, just because we started in this market, about 80% of Americans, and this wasn't a study that we performed, it was a very big uh, energy study that was done last year in 2019, about 80% of Americans don't have access to solar panels whether they are renters, whether they live in a high rise and the roof is too small, whether just the roof is too old and you can't install solar panels on it. Maybe they're living in a shaded area or an area that doesn't have a lot of sun. We're talking about massive amounts of Americans that installing solar panels is just not available for them. When we were trying to think, my partners and I, about what can we do in this space, it was obvious for us, we need to come up with a solution that supports the 80%, not the 20%. And so the idea here was one of the biggest problems of solar developers, of all of these companies and private equity and investors who are building these solar power plants, is that they don't have any, any experience and any time to invest in B2C mass market marketing, sales, customer service, billing, it's a huge headache for them. They prefer to sell it to, say, one or two companies, make one or two invoices a month. They know that they're probably going to get paid, even though the price is going to be a lot lower. But then they don't support the masses. And so we wanted to bring in a platform that would support all of those operations, would remove them from their table. So they don't need to think, do I go mass market or do I go corporations? Do I support small businesses or do I not? If they connect with us, we just simplify the process. We aggregate all of these customers to one place through the platform, you know, just like the ride-sharing apps are doing, just like the food delivery apps are doing. We're bringing a lot of people to the same place. So the scale works for us when it might not have worked for developer A or developer B. Right. And if you so look at it from like the customer... You're, you're yeah. like a, la a last mile SaaS solution. Uh, sure. That, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 can, I can sympathize with, with that. <laughs> it's, it's really not the last mile. I mean, it's, it's anywhere from start to finish because the biggest, the biggest thing right now is consumers don't know what community solar is. They know what installer, installing solar panels on the roof is, but they have no idea that they can virtually sign up in you know one or two minutes online and be able to receive solar power to their house with no installation. There's no power cords. There's nothing is actually physically done. It's all done in the back end through their utility. Right. Okay. So, and so, so how many states have this community solar program currently implemented in the U.S.? So again, if we take a look, if, if we don't look specifically at the name community solar, but at the essence of the program, we have about 40-ish states here in the United States that this started in, um, and other countries around the world are also looking at you know, adopting some sort of a model that allows 
consumers, small businesses, renters, homeowners, etc., etc., everybody to just connect with a solar developer or solar power plant in their area. It cannot be a place that is too remote, um, has to be in their area and enable these sorts of solutions. Okay. And so why doesn't it have to be, or why, why is remote an issue? Like how, how expensive it is once you implement these solar farms to actually implement the wiring infrastructure to get that power into, into grids? Like, is that, is that, is that a real hindrance to expanding this? It's not. It's not. I think it's more of a regulatory perspective and a competition perspective. If you look at states here in the United States, most of the, let's call the deregulated states, states that have multiple players and not just like a one government entity, they want to encourage competition. And so in the end of the day, a solar developer who's building a solar power plant needs to connect to the high voltage wires that are in the area. Now, for them, they want to connect to the one that's closest to the solar power plant. It would make sense. They don't want to invest more money in, you know, copper wires and and things of that nature. Um, And so it's just physically limiting that you can only connect to the wires that are next to you. Um, And so if you look at New York City, New York City is serviced by a utility company called Con Edison. And if somebody who lives in New York City wants to connect to this, they have to connect to a solar farm that's physically connected to Con Edison's wires. They cannot connect to somebody who, like me, is living in Chicago just because the metals are not connected. There's no way to pass the electrons from Chicago to New York, right? In other countries, it could be that one country has just one large utility network. And so they are connected everywhere. So it just really depends on how the government regulated the the distribution of electricity. Mm, Makes sense. So one thing I have been seeing a lot, and this might be a little bit esoteric, but a lot of different blockchain and cryptocurrency or crypto token startups that are trying to come into the solar industry. I mean, in, in your opinion, like, is there anything tangible that we can take from pie in the sky to like actual, like solving actual problems in the solar industry that like, some sort of crypto token mechanism or some sort of blockchain implementation can actually solve? Or do you think that's just, it's right now just too esoteric. There are other basic things that need to be solved around actually making the market more mature. It's a very good question. Um, And, and I'll tell you, you know, a bad answer, maybe Uh, it depends. I don't think right now, if we look at the crypto and, and virtual token industry, I don't think that it advanced enough that can service wide-scale operations for millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people at the same time and at a fast pace. It's the same reason why, you know, if you compare crypto um, or blockchain, the, the speed of authorizing new, a new block every few seconds or every few minutes, it's not at the same pace as the credit card companies can process. So... Maybe we're on the way to get there, but I think that the technology on on crypto needs to advance a little bit more um, and be a little bit more flushed out before it could be widely uh, adopted in an industry like energy or fintech or things of that nature. Yeah, and yeah, that, that, that makes complete sense. So why don't we just finish this off? Let's talk a little bit about like what 
what we can expect really from the solar industry over the next over the next five years. I mean, when you look at the past decade, I think that we had this little bubble back in like the early two thousands where we thought like solar, like it, it, it was time for solar. <laughs> Everyone's gonna have solar at the house, like it's gonna be ubiquitous. That didn't pan out, but now maybe we're in a decade where that is actually going to happen. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in the industry and like what, what we can realistically expect over this decade? One of the things that happened in the early 2000s was that the, just the technology and the industry were not mature enough to go mass scale, let's call it B2C. Very small installations um, in a lot of different places. So high volume, low size. I think if you ask me personally, I think the way to go is the opposite. Uh, and I'm happy to see that, you know, both the federal government here in the U.S., state governments, and also other countries in Europe, Latin America, and Asia are adopting the, the other type of model, large size and a little bit of a lower volume, um, because you can get to higher efficiency, higher economies of scale, and especially in places where the land is of no, no more use landfill areas, places that used to be used for, you know, industries that don't exist anymore, and put on top of those fields of or rows of solar panels that would not hurt, you know, the nature that's going on over there. It would not hurt the plants or the trees, but also help us take use of, say, landfill areas and other, other locations. And so right now, if we take a look at what the, what the U.S. government is planning, we're talking about doubling the current production of solar from what we have right now in 2020 to 2024 and tripling by 2028. And that's just what's already in the process of being worked on, being planned, being developed. So if the government continues with that pace, we're going to see massive, massive adoption of solar power plants, solar energy. And that's obviously going to push the price down because the price of generating solar power is only going down, is going to beat you know, the price of regular energy. And so it'll both be adopted in a place where it's just driving the, the general price in the market down, but also people who want to connect specifically with community solar programs, they have the incentive because they're getting a discount. And so they're supporting virtually, mentally, we can call it, um, they're supporting renewable energy and building more community solar programs in their area. It's generating more jobs. They're saving money on their bill every month. And everybody's happy. The developer is making more money because he's selling at a higher price, even though the consumer gets a discount. And the government's happy because the government is trying to push these programs to be more widely adopted. So in my mind, community solar specifically and, and solar energy in general is, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, whether you only care about saving money in the end of the month, or you also care about the planet. It's no longer a question of, I want to support my planet, but it's going to cost me more. You want to support your planet, it's going to cost you less. And so it's going to be a lot easier to adopt this in my mind. Well, I hope you're right. And it seems like solar is kind of at the in, at a unique intersection of um, high growth startup and infrastructure development that really requires the proper public-private procurement model to be in place to ensure that 
scale can be achieved. And it seems like community solar can really do that, or at least be one of the pieces in the, in the, in the puzzle that is able to achieve that. Um, real quick before we go, curious about, so energy storage, from what I've heard, what I've seen, a big piece of this puzzle is figuring out how do we create proper energy storage devices for when it's cloudy, for when it's nighttime. Um, and it seems like Tesla and Elon Musk is like the, the pioneer in that space. But like is, is energy, like where, where are we at with energy storage and the ability to actually like have power for days or potentially weeks if there's no sunlight coming in? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great question. If you look at energy storage in general, it's one of the highest or the largest topics that have been researched in probably the past 15 or 20 years in academia, in private corporations, nonprofits. If we just look at the amount of money that was invested in this topic, it's by far, you know, in I believe the top five, if not the top three topics around the world that have been you know, researched. I don't think we got there yet. We're not at the inflection point where we know how to mass produce energy storage batteries or units that are A, cost effective and B, can widely be manufactured and distributed. We're definitely heading to that direction, but we haven't gotten there yet. So the way I'm looking at it, it's more of a portfolio management type of uh, uh, thinking that we should have. We should never put all of our eggs in one basket. So the entire energy generation should never be just solar or just natural gas or just nuclear or just wind or just hydro, just anything else. It should be a portfolio because each one of those types of energy generation you know, methods have different pros and cons. And so if we balance these out and obviously lean more towards the renewable ones, but be able to kind of build build a, a healthy balance, a little bit like a healthy diet. You know, you never want to stop everything and just eat one type of thing. Um, same goes here. Once we're able to figure out battery storage in massive scale, I think it'll be life-changing because that's one of the biggest problems today. If an electron was generated somewhere, if it wasn't used in a very short time frame, it will disappear. And we're investing a lot of money and a lot of, you know, all of the big traditional energy companies are investing a lot of money because it's not easy at all to wind up and wind down generation. Especially, you know, if you're talking about coal, power plants, natural gas, nuclear, etc. Very hard to turn on the switch and turn off the switch or turn, you know, turn the dial to higher generation and lower generation. And so if we'll be able to figure out battery storage, and the regulators here in the United States are very much pushing towards figuring this out, but I believe that the world researchers need to figure out a way to scale this, to build manufacturing factories that can produce these at a low enough cost um, so that it's worth it for people to maybe install in their homes, people that have solar panels, um, but also for these mid-sized, large-sized developers for them to put these units in their fields or in their power plants so that if they overproduce, it's being saved for a time that they underproduce. Mm. Awesome. Well, Aviv Shalgi, CEO at Solar Simplified, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew.